what things, uh, what, what situations did I put myself in today that, that led me to, to lose? And, you know, the, the definition of uh, a win or a loss is entirely uh, up to you. Um, that said, uh, you know, it's important for us to also take stock of our day. To, to go back and, and just address, um, you know, maybe the elephant in the room, ask ourselves the question, was today a day where I could smile and, and, and be happy and, and appreciate? Was it a day that I'd like to forget? Um, needless to say, it's important to, again, just be able to take stock, um, to evaluate, uh, and to see if tomorrow can be a better day or as good a day as the day before. The title of my lesson this morning is, uh, is sin. And uh, sin is, is something that, uh, you know, being creatures of the flesh that we struggle with each and every day. Now, and I say struggle um, because it's not necessarily that... Uh, you know, being a Christian, I don't want to sin because I know that by sinning, I am uh, putting myself in a position where I can't be in a close relationship with the one that I love, which is God the Father. Nevertheless, um, as Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that the, uh, the you know, the, the powers that be in our flesh or against the powers that be in our spirit. And this struggle is something, again, that we carry with us each and every day. Uh, in our flesh is all manner of wickedness and, and evil. We, we've talked about this a number of times, that, uh, uh, that uh, what resides in our flesh is every wicked thing. Every wicked thing that you can imagine resides in your flesh. Every destitute a depraved act that you can imagine exists inside your flesh, like right now. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, we've learned with uh, this conflict that's going on in the Middle East is the value of a human life is subject or is subjective. I, I think I've mentioned this before that what happened uh, to to start this this struggle between these two these two warring factions uh, has resulted in the loss of many children's lives. Many, uh, you know, old old people have been killed. Pregnant women have been killed. All sorts of manner of things have, have happened. I, and I won't go through them all, but we've talked about this before. How would a rational human being, or how could a rational human being, do those things that would make our stomach churn? And the reason being is a rational human being can do those because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I go back to the book of Genesis where it says in Genesis the third chapter where it's described uh, again where Adam and Eve uh, partake of the partook rather of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, they 
you know, basically, uh, there was only one commandment that they were supposed to abide by, and they could not follow that. What rational human being could, you know, seeing, or maybe not seeing, but having that close of a relationship with God. After God having told them that they could eat of any of the trees except for that, and in doing so they would surely die. How could a rational human being reject one single commandment of God? Well, it's because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, the, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You know, how could Cain strike down his brother Abel just because God, well, I don't want to say just because, <coughs> from his vantage point, rather, uh, because God preferred Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. You know, how could a brother, you know, kill his, his flesh and blood and then hide the fact? Well, because of the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. You can look at many other examples, um, you know, of, of things that we would find destitute. Um, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, human beings would <laughs> crucify a completely innocent man for doing nothing uh, just because they were afraid of the message that uh, he was spreading. You know, we can look back at, uh, uh, you know, what happened uh, in, in Germany uh, with the Jews and how Adolf Hitler was able to convince an entire nation that it was okay <coughs> to endeavor to wipe an entire you know, culture of people from the face of the planet. And we would say again, how could a rational human being do that? Well, I'd ask you the same thing. How could you as a rational human being do those things that are in direct conflict with God? Because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number 1, uh, the Hebrew writer tells us, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, you know, because, you know, we are also compassed about, you know, these, these witnesses are also looking at us. You know, you, you may not have, you may not do a sin that is going to be included in the history books, uh, but the sin that you have the ability to commit today is still going to be witnessed by many. Scripture tells us, uh, in the book of Revelations, the 20th chapter, that there will be two books open. There will be one book that has all of the acts that we have done, that you have done, whether they be good or bad, and then there's going to be another book that's open, which is the book of life. And everyone, you know, all those things that you have done in secret will be made exposed by the light. All those things that you are not proud of, that would turn my stomach will be witnessed and will be made self-evident for everyone to see. The Hebrew writer again says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, For foreseeing we also are comes about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which do it so evil, which do it so easily beset us. Mm -hmm. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, the uh, I, I love this verse because um, it highlights that Satan will always take the easy route to get to you. <laughs> you know, this, this temptation um, that uh, exists in our flesh <clears throat> is always the one that's... <laughs> It's, it's, it's well established. It is something that uh, uh, is well known. It's well known to you just as it's well known to our adversary, the devil. You know, this sin that which do it so easily beset us, you know, my study Bible has here that, uh, you know, ensnares us, um, is something that we need to be mindful of. And this goes back to my introduction about wins and losses. You know, the, uh, the Bible tells us um, in 1 John, the third chapter, that sin is what? A transgression of the law. Of whose law? Well, we know that uh, you're talking about God's law. Again, that's in uh, 1 John, the, uh, the third chapter. And where is my mark? <clears throat> Uh, verse number four. Um, and one of the things that uh, is, is good for us to, to, to know about what the definition of sin is, is to also know what the law is. And it says in the very in the first part of First John, the third chapter, and verse number four, it says, Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. You know, sin and transgression of the law are, are, are coupled together. There is a colon right after that because it's qualifying the statement before by saying for sin is the transgression of the law. That's the reason why they're synonymous. Is you cannot sin without also transgressing the law of God. Now some, some may say, well, um, you know, how is that possible when other verses say that that which is not that which is done not of faith to him it is sin? You know, as and I've, I've read some commentary about personal sins and you know godly sins, and there really is no difference. You know, if the law of God exists in your heart, your mind, your your spiritual heart, which is your your physical mind. You know, anything that you do that goes against the law that exists in your mind, the law of God as exists, you know, when we became Christians, you know, uh, even in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that God would no longer write his law on, on tablets and stone, but he would write his law in the hearts, the spiritual hearts, mm -hmm. the, the physical mind of those true followers. If your mind is telling you not to do it or that you shouldn't do it or what you're doing goes against the, uh, let's say, the, the spiritual conscience that God has afforded you through baptism, then again, that is sin. I go back to, again, 1 John, uh, the third chapter. 
it says in verse number seven, uh, sorry, in verse number six, whoso abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And I want to uh, just highlight this particular verse um, in light of what I just said, or what the scripture teaches us about the laws of God being written in our spiritual minds. If you are doing righteousness, then what you are doing is righteous. Now, uh, you know, that's, you know, one example um, that we can find in, in the Bible <clears throat> is um, in the first century, in Acts, the second chapter, uh, it was righteous, right, for each of those, each of those members to suck, I'm tripping over my words, to sell those things that they had in their possession and share it, to lay what they have at the apostles' feet so that it can be shared with those who did not have it. When we get to the example in the book of Acts of Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? Well, you know, superficially, you would say that what they were doing was righteous. Am I right? They, they sold a, uh, a plot of land that was in their possession, and they gave from the proceeds of that sale. But we find that their act was unrighteous. Not that the act of giving is unrighteous, but the intents of the heart or the intentions of their heart made them, or made that act of giving unrighteous. We can find there that Peter told them, why would you sin against the Holy Spirit? While it was in your possession, didn't you have the ability to take and, or, you know, to subtract? But no, you went into this with the wrong, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and as a result, they died that same day. It says again here in 1 John, the third chapter and verse number 7, uh, where John is telling his little children in the faith, Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And then going into verse number 8, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the, sin, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Even the devil sinned. Even the devil transgressed the law of God. Even the devil will be punished for his sin. Even the devil's sins will be made manifest on that day of judgment. It says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And here's where we get to this, this uh, maybe uh, connection between winning and losing, this connection between the definition of sin being the transgression of the law, and also what we read here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and verse number 1, about, again, laying aside every weight and the sin which do it so easily beset us, and running the race of patience that is set before us. This is where the uh, 
the interconnection is here in verse number 9 of 1 John, the third chapter. It says, Whosoever is born of God doeth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are, are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So when we talk about uh, righteousness, or you know this connection, the, the connection is righteousness, I guess I would say. Is what, when we look back at the wins and losses, when you look back and you answer the question, did I win today? Did I lose today? Can I smile today? Can I frown today? Maybe even a better question is, is if I were to die today, where would I find myself the moment I lifted up my, or opened my eyes after death? Would it be in heaven or would it be in hell? And if you look back at all the things that you've done, the lens, the test, the litmus paper that, you know, you dip in the water to determine whether it's, you know, basic or acidic is righteousness. Did you do righteousness? Were you righteous today or not? And it says here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, again, that one of the ingredients that is necessary for us to be righteous is to let us lay aside every weight. Now, what weighs us down? What weighs you down? What did you drag to get here to the building today? What did you drag to get on the prayer line today? You know, what, uh, what feelings and emotions you know, were you struggling with when you woke up this morning to do your hair, brush your teeth, put on makeup, put on some nice, clean, respectable clothes? Uh, to those who are on the prayer line, I know that some of the members had to drag themselves out of a comfortable bed, you know, throw on some clothes, leave the confines of a comfortable room to find a quiet place to participate in this worship service. I know our dear brother is dealing with a hefty weight right now. He, this, this weight, while physically kept him from being here in the building, he is still struggling with at this very moment while he's trying to focus on the words that are written here in the gospel. Well, what is the weight that we carry with us but our flesh? The lust of the eyes, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. This, this thing that is ever-present that is always, always, always inclined to unrighteousness. It says again to lay aside every weight in the sin which do easily beset us. And how do we do that? Well, verse number two gives us some insights in how we can do that. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, I, I love this verse because it, it you know, highlights to me, you know, it says, consider what Jesus went through. Now, Jesus, you know, while he was yet the Son of God, he was tempted in all ways in which we are tempted, meaning he also carried a weight with him every single day. <coughs> he got hungry just as well as we get hungry. He got thirsty just as well as we get thirsty. He put his pants on one leg at a time, as we all do. And it says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against him. You know, these, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the songs about backstabbers, you know, they smile in your face. All the time they want to take your place, the backstabbers. You know that song, right? Amen. Think about Christ. They smiled in his face. You know, these Pharisees and scribes, they, they smiled in his face. You know, while the while they while they schemed to take his place. And they stabbed him in the back. It says, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood like Christ did. Striving against sin. You know what Christ did? He suffered and he resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Have you carried the sin of an entire species on your shoulder? No. Or our Lord and Savior Christ did. Can you think about that weight? I mean, I have to carry the weight of my own sin. You know, by extension, I, I also have to carry the weight to my wife and, and my three kids because they are a part of my household. But can you imagine carrying the weight of every single man and woman that has lived and that will ever live? And in spite of that weight, you know, that dizzying weight that will cause any one of us to weary and faint, just like that, Christ continued, 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 like I talked about uh, last Lord's Day. He continued to fight. He resisted. It says, ye have not resisted yet unto blood striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation. And I'm in verse number five now of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure ch uh, chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, 
from which gave, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, the wins and losses. You, you go back and you look at the day and you may say, well, I won because today was smooth. Didn't really have any discomfort. It was good. And I'm not saying that's a bad day. I'm not saying that that's a, a day you shouldn't glory in. But what the Hebrew writer is telling us is that even chastisement, even those days where we, again, struggle with putting off this weighty sin uh, or the sins of the flesh, you know, when the Lord chastens us, is still a glorious day. It is a day of when. It is a day where we have won. Amen. Because as he puts here in verse number 11, that, uh, you know, this, this chastisement, what does it yield? The fruit of righteousness. Well, what is this, this fruit that we speak of? Whatever Bibles. <clears throat> Let's turn to uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians, the third chapter. Sorry, Galatians, the fifth chapter. Starting at verse number 16. Says, uh, Paul wrote here, This I say then, if you walk in the Spirit, what does it say? Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, it's, it's right there. There really is no secret sauce. Uh, it's it's self-evident. I mean, it's so self-evident that Satan himself could read these words and get it. As a matter of fact, he does get it. So much so that his job, as we talked about last Lord's Day, is to take as many people as he can with him to hell or the lake of fire and brimstone by getting you to or convincing, tempting you to not walk in the Spirit. Because he knows, just as well as we can read it, he can read it. He knows that if you are walking in the Spirit, he can't touch you. Yeah. Now, or rather, <clears throat> he knows that his power, he has no power over it says in verse number 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, 
so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So what gives? But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. I'm going to skip forward here to uh, verse number 22. But if we walk after the Spirit, if we, and, and I just want to say this, which is stronger? The Spirit or your flesh? Which is, which is stronger? The Holy Spirit of God or your weak flesh? And I think I've kind of answered the question, right? The Holy Spirit is stronger than the lust of your flesh. Well then, well, why is there a war? Why is there a battle? It seems like the Holy Spirit should win every single day. And you're absolutely right. It will win every single day. But you get to pick the victor. Now you may say, well, how is that? Well, <clears throat> it says in verse number 25, of Galatians the fifth chapter it says if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit we get to choose the victor <coughs> we get to choose whether or not in this battlefield that I call Thomas Garner who wins just as well as I get to choose which master I serve which is the reason why, and this is going to make the hair stand up, stand up on the back of your neck, which is a reason why there's a byproduct of Adam and Eve eating a fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Once they became knowledgeable of evil, because they already had knowledge of good, well, actually, let's take that back. They had they didn't know what good was until they knew what evil was. But they became aware of both. And because they became aware of both, they became like little G.O.D.s. They became, you know, as the scripture says, you know, as Satan told them a half-truth, that you would become as gods lowercase g-o-d you know what a, you know the definition of a god is if you were to look up uh, in in the webster's dictionary and i'm not talking about god g-o capital g-o-d but a god a god whether you think of yourself as a god or whether you think of an inanimate object of god it's all about power <laughs> and control see Adam and Eve once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they had the power and control to do one or the other they had the power and the control to serve one or the other they had the power and the control to decide for themselves whether or not they were going to go down a path of good or a path of evil they had the power of choice just as well as you do you get to choose the victor and what the Bible tells us in Galatians the fifth chapter 
And also in the book of Romans, and actually let's turn over to the book of Romans, I think is, is where I'll conclude. <clears throat> it says uh, in uh, Romans, the, the eighth chapter, uh, starting at, uh, let's start, let's start at uh, verse number 13. It says, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You have the choice. Just as well as the Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number 1 tells us that we have the choice to lay aside that weight. We have the choice to uh, lay aside that sin that doeth so easily beset us. You have the power and the choice. To live righteously or to live unrighteously. It says, uh, uh, going on <clears throat> in verse number 14 of Romans, the 8th chapter, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And this is where I'll conclude by wrapping this all the way back around to 1 John. Again, verse number 14 of Romans 8, chapter 4, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, or the children of God. We just got through reading in 1 John the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. It says in verse, again, 1 John, the third chapter, and verse number 9, I'm going to read this slowly. Whosoever is born of God doeth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. He is a child of God. He is a son of God. How is it possible that a you know, a, a person such as me who has all manner of sin existing in my flesh. How is it possible that Thomas Dorman can live a life without... And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, okay. let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness okay. is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Okay, it's okay. Sister Jones, we uh, turn on our audio version of her Bible. But uh, again, how is it that Thomas Garner, a sinful creature, can live a life without sin? How, how can I be Christ-like? How can I be joint heirs with Christ? Well, it says very simply, it's not rocket science. It is extremely simple. Now, I, I say that, you know, not as one who has mastered this, because, again, I, I'm growing in faith. I'm, I'm trying to win more than I lose each and every day. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we just got the reading that if we are, if we are led by the Spirit, we will, what? Put to death. The deeds of the flesh. If we put to death the deeds of the flesh, it is impossible 
for us to sin. Rather, we will not sin. In this, uh, again, going back to First John, the third chapter, and verse number ten. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So to to wrap you know to wrap this up um, you know in a bow as, as neatly as I can is you know, when we look back and we take stock of our day we need to go back and say did I live righteously today mm -hmm. and you may say well how do I know if I've lived righteously well what underpins that is whether or not. In every circumstance, in every choice, in every action, in every interaction, whether you've had privately or publicly, did you or did you pick the right victory? Did you choose to be led by the Spirit? If you chose to be led by the Spirit, then you were doing righteousness. And if you're doing righteousness, then you were a son of God. And only those who doeth not commit sin are God's children. And that's pretty much it. You know, this, this wins and losses of a day, um, or even something as simple as saying, what would Jesus do? It's a simple question. Um, but it's a power, but uh, understanding the intent behind that question is even more powerful. The reason why Jesus was able to uh, suffer unto, unto death or resist unto, unto blood and to give his life on the cruel cross of Calvary as we, as we know that he did. The only reason why he was able to do that was because of what? He made the choice to be led by the Spirit. Well, we know that Christ was baptized, right? John the Baptist baptized our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that after he was baptized, that the Holy Spirit ascended down onto him as if it were a dove. He has the same, he had rather the same power that you and I have each and every day. You know, that's the reason why he's the perfect mediator between us and God. Because again, while he was tempted in all ways in which we are tempted, he did not what? He did not sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. What was the secret sauce? The secret sauce was that he chose the victor. He chose, he chose good over evil. He chose righteousness over unrighteousness. He chose to serve God over serving his flesh. Amen. And the Holy Spirit gave him the power and the ability to do that. Yes. And that's the same Holy Spirit that exists inside each and every one of us. First Corinthians tells us, Know ye not that our bodies are what? The temples of the Holy Spirit. So every day that you wake up, you just have to make a choice. I'm going to do what the Spirit tells me to do. 
How does the Spirit make himself known unto you? How does he do that? Well, he speaks to you. He speaks to you through the Word of God. You all know this. When you are faced with a choice, a fork in the road, there's something that inevitably speaks to you in your brain. Now that reminds you of a scripture that, that tells you to pause and think before you act. It, it reminds you of a lesson. A song comes to your remembrance. You know, looking at something reminds you that God is real. All of those various ways in which the Holy Spirit makes God the Father known to you at a moment where a choice is to be made is Him allowing you or affording you the choice. The Scripture tells us that well, that what? <clears throat> God will not allow us to be tempted more than what we can bear. But what does he do? He says, but through that temptation, he gives us what? A righteous means of escape. God will always give you that righteous means of escape. And the Holy Spirit, the reason why we have it, is to highlight that offering. That the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, your righteous escape is right here. I'm telling you, you need to take this. I'm telling you because I love you. I'm telling you because I don't want you to fall victim to the wiles of the devil. Let's go this direction. It's the right direction because I am God. I am in agreement with God. I am the essence of God. We have God with us. Yet the scripture tells us that you know, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. And we have the gift of the one through baptism. And all we have to do is, is take that offering, listen to the Spirit, take that righteous means of escape, and we will not do and <laughs> when we do so, we will do it, not commit sin. So the lesson is yours this morning. Um, if you have been struggling <coughs> with making the right choice, understand that you're not alone. You're not alone. That's the reason why we have this family. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe that's Romans, the, uh, the third chapter. Let me look that up. So the Romans 3 or Romans 6. <coughs>
that strength. Well, uh, that uh, God will empower the Holy Spirit that exists inside you to scream even louder to you, to beckon even more to you. You know, the uh, scripture that we just read about chastisement, if you're here today and, and you're going through it, um, that's okay too, because we know that, uh, it is, you know, whom God loveth, he also chastises. Mm -hmm. And even that is a blessing. If you're not a member of the body of Christ uh, this morning, uh, some, uh, you need to understand that you are in sin. You don't yet have his seed existing in you. And even with your best efforts to do the right thing, you'll fall short. So it's important for you to hear of the oneness of the Lord, the oneness of faith, the oneness of hope, the oneness of baptism, uh, to understand that Christ came to this earth as a man. He humbled himself a little lower than the angels and died on the cross for your sins. And in doing so, gave you a pathway to obtain eternal life. You need to hear it, believe it, uh, repent, confess, and be baptized. And then one must live faithfully until death in order to obtain the crown of life. So again, the lesson is yours. You have to urge you to need to do so. Please come forward. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded.